up, young adults? How are you? Nice. Nice. Welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here. I get like low-key emotional every time I watch that bumper. I'm like, are they gonna make are they gonna make it? Like, I hope so. I don't know how you guys feel, but it's got like the good vibes. It's like the good song. If you don't come on Thursday nights, you don't see the bumper, so you should be here. Um, also your wife is here, so you should come. Okay, all right, just talking to the Facebook Live people right now that are like, I love, I love love. And at my, but I'm at my house. So come here, and we would love for you to be here. Um, welcome to Thursday Nights. We are so glad that you guys are here. We are in a series and wrapping up called Roommates or Soulmates. Roommates or Soulmates. And this entire series has been about relationships, namely romantic relationships, yeah? And so the way we're going to summarize tonight is we are going to talk about actually friendships. And I know that you might think, well, what does that even remotely have to do with my romantic life? with my dating life, with my married life, but what I hope to show you by the end of the night is that they are actually immensely interconnected and that they are profoundly connected and that God has a plan to use your current uh, community to take you exactly where he needs you to go. And so the question I have for you guys tonight is, how are your friends and who are your friends? How are your friends right now? If you were to close your eyes and think about the five closest people in your life, how are your friends and who are those friends? Amen? And so um, you're like, I don't know. That's okay. That's okay. Those are, those, that's what we're going to talk about tonight because here's what I know about you even though I know nothing about you. I know that the best memories you have ever had, the memories of you playing on the beach, the memories of you staying up late laughing at a diner, um, you cracking up at a Christmas gift, all of those memories, they have happened in the context of relationships. That the most profound adventures in your life, whether you travel to another country or you start a ministry, maybe you fly her downtown with your best friends and tell people about Jesus. Um, maybe for you it's a late night hike, a moonlit hike, and you get lost on the way back. Like those amazing adventurous memories, those happen in the context of your friendships. And here's what I know about you, even though you may not know this about yourselves, is that the biggest transitions of your life you moving to another state, you maybe going from career or college to career, you transitioning in your jobs, you maybe getting married, all of those things happen, and I believe they don't just happen, I believe they're actually ushered within our friendships. And so God says in his word, it's not just kind of important, it's not just an additive to your life that you have friends, it's actually deeply pertinent that you have friends in your life. So how are your friends? Because the thesis of tonight is this, it's that your friends determine your future. Your friends actually determine your future. And I hope to build a case for this tonight so that all of us can benefit. I believe God wants to do a mighty work tonight. I believe that he has something for you tonight on this night. And so I'm so glad that you guys are here. I titled tonight, if you're taking notes, All the King's Men. All the King's Men. So let's bow our heads and ask Jesus to be here, yeah? God, we thank you so much. And God, I praise you for every single soul that is in here. God, I thank you for the lives that are changing, that are transforming. And God, we praise you that your word is good and it is sufficient. And I pray that every single person would walk out of here, God, um, just emboldened to what you have for them, God, that we would stop at nothing less than what you have for us, God, the life and the destiny that you have designed us for. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. How many of you love winter sports? You like 
like adore wintertime. Yes, me too. Okay, you're like, I love sledding, snowboarders in here. You're my people, skiers in here. All right, two plankers, amen. And do we have some, uh, do we have some sledders in here? All right, yes. <laughs> Dude, yes, amen. Um, so, so when I was in college, I loved Jesus a whole lot and probably uh, right like below, like Jesus, my mama, and then right below that was like snowboarding. So it's the reason that I actually failed introduction to computer applications. I never came to class. Apparently that mattered. And so, so, so I just snowboarded a lot in college. And so I've told this story before. So if you've heard it, just be like, it's fine. But it's important when I talk about friendships to talk about this story. Because um, I was about, man, I think I was 20 years old. And I go up to uh, the mountain. I'm up at Keystone. I'm with some friends. And we're practicing barrel rolling on just like some little kickers there. And I break my arm. I've never broken a bone in my life. I broke my arm, and I was like, dang. And the guy, you know, the, the doctor talks to me, and he's like, look, you can't snowboard for the rest of the season. And I was like, you know, I did one of these where I was like, mm-hmm, but then in my heart I was like, no. Like. And so it was a full cast. The moment I got down to a half cast, it was December, and I was on break with my friends, and I'm like, oh, this is happening. Like, this is so happening. And lo and behold, I'm a single girl, and I've got some friends that are coming in from Iowa. One of them is this, like, cute farmer dude. Um, amen to all of you who, the John Deere tractors, praise God. And, um, and I just was like, and I just, we're going to go snowboarding. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to show, like, like, you guys don't know, but girls actually do show off for you. Like, you have no idea. Like, all of you fellas, you show off. You come in here on your motorcycles and, like, whatever. But listen, like, we, we show off as well. So, like, we show up and, like, the whole day is super fun. We're snowboarding. So much fun. We're up at Breckenridge. And for those of you who have been to Breckenridge, there's a really big, it's the end of the day, 3 p.m. Um, there's a really big park there. It's the giant park at Breck, okay? And, um, Normally, in a normal season, I would be in there a lot, but because I had broken my arm, I hadn't hit it at all that season. And so uh, we're in there, and um, I'm at the top, and I'm like trying to show off for this dude. We, it's the end of the day. I have no idea why we did this, but I look at him because I'm arrogant, and I say, hey, man, I'll pace the jumps for you because pride comes before the fall. And so for those of you who, uh, for those of you watching online who don't know what the Breckenridge uh, snowboarding park is like, um, just it is where blonde girls go to die. That's all you need to know. All right. And so, so I hit that first jump and it's like the table is like, it, they, they consecutively get bigger. Okay. First, uh, the first table is about 10 feet, maybe like 15 feet long. Um, the second one's like 20, 20, you know, somewhere in there. Um, and they just get bigger as you go along. And so the second one, first one's fine. I, and I don't speed check for the second one. I do a grab. I realize that I'm like overshooting it by like a lot. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh no. And this is legitimately the last thing I remember. What apparently happened is that I didn't land on the downslope, but on the ground, like below the downslope, and my body just kind of like bounced around like a ragdoll. And when I wake up, I'm in an ambulance. So this is not attractive to Iowa boy, okay? I'm in an ambulance, and I wake up to like the paramedic, and she goes, oh no, she's awake. And, um, and, and then she goes, can you feel your toes? And I was like, yeah. And she like put some in my IV, and she goes, okay, can you feel your toes now? And I was like, yeah, and she put some in my IV, and then she's like, can you feel your toes now? And I was like, I can't, I can't feel anything. <laughs> the reason they didn't want me to feel anything was because I had fractured my pelvis in three places. 
I had fractured uh, my ribs, and then I had broken my collarbone and rebroken my arm, if you can believe it, in the cast. And so, so true story, I'm, I, I'm in a hospital bed. I have to spend two weeks in a hospital bed. I have to spend another month um, after that laying in bed because of my pelvis. Um, and then the two months after that, get this, if you're 20 years old, this is super sexy, I had to walk with a walker. Right? Like, because nothing says, date me. Like, oh, I'm actually 80. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I just was like, my life's over. And so, true story, I had to take, like, they thought I had, like, um, brain damage. And so I would take tests where they'd be like, what's this? And I'm like, it's a donkey. And they're like, what's this? I'm like, it's a lion. Like, it was just, like, terrible, right? So I'm in the hospital. This happened over Christmas break. And I'm in the hospital. I'm 20 years old on New Year's Eve. And I'm already at a point in my life, and some of you are at this point in your lives where, man, I was so confused about my future. And I was so, all of a sudden, I was bedridden, and I couldn't do the things I enjoyed, and I couldn't, like, do the things that maybe, like, were escaping for me. They, like, were my escape tactics, so I didn't have to think about my future. I didn't have to think about my life. And all I could do is, like, read, eat cereal, and lay in bed. And it's New Year's Eve, you guys. And I'm seeing everybody with like their New Year's resolution and like Carson Daly and like up on the screen and everybody's having the time of their lives. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And all of a sudden I hear down the hallway, I hear like a flitter of girls, <laughs> you know, like, oh, like femergy, you know what I mean? <laughs> and my four best friends, they were my best friends to this day. They rounded the corner and they round the corner and they come in and they have hats and they have like 2008 like party glasses, you know what I'm saying? They've got like everything. They've got like everything I could ever want on a night. And they sat with me in bed and we watched on my little crappy TV as the ball dropped. And it was one of those nights where I was like, man, it's gonna be all right, you know? I'm gonna be all right, like we gonna be all right. Like, and we weren't going to be all right because my circumstances were good. We were going to be all right because the people I was around are good. Do you hear me? It wasn't going to be good because my circumstance was good. It was going to be good because of the people that were in my life, that were stewarding my life, that were encouraging my life, that were speaking into my life were good. And God wants you to understand tonight that when it comes to your life, you need to make friends like your life depends on it because there are seasons of your life where your friends will actually hold your life in their hands. It says this in Ecclesiastes 4. It says two are better than one. You're like, no duh. I would like two dollars, please, right? <laughs> two are better than one because they have a good return on their work. If one falls down, a friend can help him up, but pity the fool who has no one to help him up. God says that real friends matter, and they're not just like additives to your life. They are detrimental to your life. And then he says this. He says, pity, pity the person that doesn't have anybody to help you up. And he says this. He says, man, it is so important because, look, um, there will not, like, it's not a matter of if you fall. It's a matter of when you fall, yeah? And when you fall, are there going to be people around you that know you and love you and are going to lift you up? Pity the man that doesn't have that. It's not if you fall. 
It's when you fall. And who's there to help you up? See, in this life, it is just a matter of time before life kind of shoves you to the ground. And it is our friends who hold our heads in those circumstances. See, it is so pertinent that we have true friends. It is detrimental. And this is interesting for us. This is problematic for us in 2018 because, man, we make friends like, um, like we're collecting trading cards, right? Like we're collecting Pez dispensers. You guys collect Pez dispensers when you were kids? Just me? Are you serious? All right, that sucks. Um, okay. You collect, you know, okay, it's fine. I'm kind of like, I was like, I thought y'all were going to be like, yeah! It's fine. But we collect friends like we collect trading cards, right? And so this is how it is. Like we've got, you know, 1,200 friends on Facebook, and we've got 400 fr followers on Twitter, and we've got, you know, maybe 600 people that follow us on Instagram, and that's how we do our world. And when, anytime somebody upsets us, we can just unfriend them. Like it's no big deal. Anytime people post something that we're jealous of, it's fine. We just mute them. Anytime somebody maybe says something online that you don't like, that's fine. You just hide them from your timeline. And so we treat people not like they're people but like they are assets to be added to or taken away from our lives. And there is no other time in history when our friends have been defined this way, when our friendships have been moved this way. And God says, I didn't design you for friends like that. I designed you for true, blue, beautiful, there for you friendships. Friendships that save you when you need them most. It says this in Proverbs 18. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The question tonight is this, do you have a friend, guys, that sticks closer than a brother? Do you have a friend that sticks closer than a sister? And if you don't, that's okay. We're going to talk about it tonight. But who are those people in your world? Because there is going to come a time when you need them the most. And we are going to be reading from scripture uh, tonight. And it's um, a verse I think about friendship and about, man, the impertinent nature of our friendships on our destiny. And this is not a verse I don't think, this is not a scripture I don't think that people would normally attribute to um, our lives as it pertains to friendships. And yet, I think it speaks so much to human nature and to the way that we move forward into our destiny. And we find this story in 2 Samuel um, in chapter 11. And so if you'd like to go there now, I encourage you to read all of chapter 10. And then I would encourage you to read all of chapter 11 after that. We are going to focus in on one verse tonight. And it says this, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. All right, so it's springtime in Israel. For those of you who don't know David's story, David was anointed king a long, long time ago. But he actually became king a couple years ago. First he was the king of Judah, and then he was the king of Israel, okay? And he becomes king, and he almost instantaneously becomes a valiant and militaristic-minded captain. He's amazing. And if you read about David, one of the biggest um, things about his legacy, the biggest things about his kingdom was that he was so good at going to war. That's what you're, you're going to read about how, man, he like slayed a giant and then he became a military giant. This is who he is. And so in the first couple years of his reign, he goes to war with these men that I would say are his close comrades, are his 
closest friends. They are the people who have spent hours upon hours, upon days, upon months, upon years with him. They know his mannerisms and his quirks. They know exactly who he is. They know exactly who he's not. And they call, him, they call these men David's mighty men. David's mighty men. And there was about 30 of these dudes, okay? And these guys were, oh my gosh, they were way too good at their jobs. We'll just say that, okay? They were the most, um, in some ways, barbaric. They, they were somewhat untamed, but they were valiant. They were so brave, and they were warriors alongside David. They were the reason that David, David's kingdom was everything that it was. And in this group, he has one advisor. His name is Joab. And he is the captain of all of his army. And then he has these dudes called the three. And I love this. They're just called the three all throughout scripture. They're like, oh, yeah, there were the dudes, the mighty men, and then there was the three. And it was because they were the best of the best, the most valiant warriors. I wanted to read about them tonight. It's, uh, his name, the first guy's name is Joshub um, Bashabeth. And it says that he raised a spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. And then Eleazar, son of Dodai, who stood, um, stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. And then Shema, son of Agi, who fought in the field of lentils and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Okay, so David called these dudes the, the chiefs. That's what he called them. Boo, I hate the chiefs. But he called them the chiefs. Everybody else called these guys the three. If you were like a little six-year-old six Israelite kid, you knew who these guys were. You would be like, oh my gosh, there's one of the three. And you had like the action figure. Because these guys were like uh, the sports heroes of our day. Have you ever heard how like um, sportscasters talk about like their favorite athlete, like their favorite quarterback? It's like they want to take them on a date. Have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? So like, so like right now, Patrick Mahomes, who again, Chiefs, boo, right? Um, Patrick, if you're watching, I love it. Jesus loves you. You're just ruining my fantasy league, okay? And so, so, but they talk about Patrick and they're like, oh my gosh, look at, oh, he's scrambling. Oh my gosh, he can run just the way he throws. Oh my gosh, look at that. It's like a pistol. It's like a laser. It's like a firearm. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, what? And then, and then they're like, oh my gosh, I hope he marries my daughter. You know, and you're just like, stop it, commentators. Stop. Like, I'm so, I'm so annoyed. But this is how they talked about the three during their day. They're like, there they go. Like, they can do no wrong. Like, they, they are the best of the best. They are so perfect. And these were David's closest friends. And here's what you need to know about his friends is that they weren't just his friends when he was king. David actually had to run and he had to flee the kingdom. He was anointed king at the time when Saul was still stationed as king. And so David flees into the wilderness. He leaves the kingdom, even though he's anointed to be king. And there is a whole group of warriors that defect from Saul's army, that betray him, essentially, that leave their homeland. They leave everything they know and, like, their friends and stuff. And then they go and they follow David. And they are loyal to him. And they live with him in caves and in the wilderness because they love him. They are his close friends. They are with him before he's a king. They are with him when he is a kid. And they stick by his side. And these are the men in which his entire character develops. And it is without a doubt because of these men, I believe, that David um, is able to grab hold of his destiny. And here's what I mean. If David is by himself in the wilderness and he flees from Saul and he like hides in the woods and whatever, God may protect him. Amen. That would be so awesome. But more likely than not, he dies because some dude comes, finds him and kills him. But because he has these 30 men 
who are loyal to him, who are his friends, who are sticking by his side. Where you go, I will go. I will bleed if you bleed. Like, let's go. I'm a part of your kingdom, nobody else's kingdom. You're my bud. Like, let's hang out, right? Because he has these 30 dudes with him, he is able to take hold of his destiny. And so I don't know what the promise on your life is tonight. I don't know what you're dreaming of tonight. I don't know what God's asking you to do tonight or what he's put in your heart tonight. But here's what you need to know is that if God is asking you to be a father, then you are going to need some amazing friends. That if God is asking you to be an amazing wife, if he is asking you to be a godly wife, you are going to need some amazing friends. If he is asking you to be a leader or a church planter, if he's asking you to raise up a new generation of people to take hold of the kingdom, if he's asking you to work with orphans, if he's asking you to make boatloads of money so you can give it away, I don't care what it is, you're going to need some friends. And so if you're in here and you're like, man, I have some goals. I have some ambitions. Here's what we need to know tonight. It's that your friends determine your future. And if you don't believe me, we're going to look at some more scriptures because I'm so set on building this case. And from, from David's story, we can learn so much about his life and the way he developed and about the way that he walked into his destiny and ultimately, ultimately the way he ruined his destiny. And the first thing that we learn about friendships and about how important they are for our future is this, is that our friendships, our community is the catalyst for our character. Our community is the catalyst for our character. When we meet David, um, when we meet David, his resume is like this. He's a single dude, okay? He's probably like 18 years old, okay? And his resume is like sheep herder. Like that's what he did. He was a shepherd. He's anointed to be king, but when he goes into the wilderness, he needs to learn how to wield a spear. He needs to know how to wield a sword. He's like, you know, he's young. Use the slingshot. Good for you, David. That's awesome. Okay? But you also need to learn how to go to war. You need to learn how to command an army. You need to learn how to be a husband. And listen, David's destiny, young adult, his destiny was to be a king. His destiny was to be a husband. His destiny was to be a dad. But when we meet him, he is a child in the wilderness with a whole bunch of dudes around him, in which he could form his character. Your character is always formed in the context of community, period. Your character is always sharpened in the context of your friends, period. That is where it happens. And these men come alongside him as his, um, as his friends, or as his character develops. See, without these people, we get nowhere. And so who are your friends tonight? Because I'm, I'm thinking that if you know who those people are, then maybe it can help you to realize if whether or not you're on the right space or whether or not you need to make a change in direction. Jim Rohn, who's a motivational speaker, he puts it this way. He says, you are the average sum of the five people who are closest to you in your life. The five people you spend the most time with, he says, you are the average sum. Not you are better than them. Not you are more holy than them. You are like dead set right in the middle. And so if we would be like, this is what I do. I try to hang out with people who are way smarter than me. And I try to hang out with people who are more holy than me and wiser than me and who have more better looking than me. Because if they are better looking, I will be the average sum <laughs> of all of them. Models, you can meet me in the back. Let's talk. They are the average, we are the average of the five closest people in our lives, which is why your friendships matter. 
Do you understand now that, man, you are five years from now, you are going to look more like the closest people around you than you are who you are right now? And so who are those people? This is why it matters. Who's closest to you? Are your five closest friends, are they your drinking buddies on the weekends? This matters. Who are your five closest friends? Is it a godly girlfriend who goes to church with you or is it somebody that you have to drag to church? Who's your friends? Who are the friends when you are down and out? Who are the people in your life because you are the sum total of your five closest people? Do you want to be a godly wife? Who do you think you should spend time with? You want to be a godly father? Who should you spend time with? You want to be a, man, you want to be a complaining single person? Who should you spend time with? Who are your five closest friends? Because according to Jim Rohn, this is what he's saying. He's saying, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You show me who your people are, I'll show you where you're going. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And so our friends shape us. And so for David, David was like surrounded by a pack of warriors. The entire time they were older than him, they were more knowledgeable than him, they gave him advice, they like helped him like as he like formed into this amazing, mighty person. And so it's no surprise then that he was surrounded by this, that what he is known for isn't his academia. It's not that he was like the wisest king of all time. It was that he was a militaristic genius. Why? Because of his friends. First Corinthians puts it this way about the people that we hang out with. It says, man, it says bad, what does it say? Sorry. What does it say? It says bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. I was reading a study a few years ago about a pastor who went and interviewed a bunch of inmates in a prison. And what he, as he got to know their stories, what he found deeply fascinating, and I did too, was that every single one of them was kind of in either a neutral zone or on a good track until they met somebody. And that somebody led them to whatever it was that got them in jail. So they were going about their life. They were maybe, maybe going to school, maybe having a job, like whatever. And then they meet somebody who's trafficking drugs and they're in jail. Or maybe for them, it's that they were laundering money and they meet somebody who was laundering money and they were like, oh, I'd love to make a little bit more money. And, so, and then they're in jail. So if it's true for us that bad morals or that bad company corrupts good morals, then the opposite is true that you can plant yourself around people that are actually amazing and godly and kind and good, and they will rub off on you. All you have to do is be where they are. See, you show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. That's what this verse is saying. And so you want friends, church, that aren't just going to be awesome in character. They're not just going to be you know, they're not just going to be, man, good in the way that they behave, but they're also going to stick by you. You want people that are going to celebrate you when you become king, and you want people that are going to stick by your side when you are in the wilderness and your character is in formation. It says this again in uh, Proverbs 18. It says, a man of many compa companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You need, as your character develops, you need friends that stick closer than a brother. Because it is just a matter of time before life hands you a setback that you can't handle on your own. That is why we bear one another's burdens. And so sometimes you lose that family member. And sometimes the job does, falls through. And sometimes life is brutal. I spent time all this week praying with people and talking with people about the issues in their life. Sometimes life is just brutal. And you need somebody who is going to be there 
to help you on those evenings. Sometimes you don't become king right away, right? Sometimes you, you, wanna, you want that destiny, you want that goal, but sometimes there is delay in your life and you are in the wilderness as your character develops and it's not coming right away. And sometimes when that happens, you need good friends speaking into your life. Listen, sometimes the girl you thought you were going to get married to, she breaks up with you because she's not ready. Or maybe she breaks up with you because she says you're not ready and maybe you're not ready. And listen, you need good friends in that moment who are going to speak into your life. See, David's friends, they stuck by him, not just when he was in the wilderness, but they stuck by him, man, when he went off to war to take hold of his kingdom. They stuck by him in the times where it was, he was kind of a bonehead, and then they go with him as he lays hold of everything that God has promised him. I mean, this is beautiful. This is like Hermione and Ronnie, like, or, uh, yeah, they, Ron. <laughs> Ronnie Johnson, you're on my mind tonight. Like, it's like Hermione and Ron, right? Like, where they back up Harry as he pursues his call. It's like Samwise, Genji, and Frodo, worst character ever, right? It's like that kind of a vibe. It's that kind of a friendship. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And where you die, I will die. Like, that kind of friendship, right? And they, they, call this, they call this ride or die, which a few years ago, like, was easy for me to say. But now I'm like, I'm, I'm a mom. Like, this is so weird for me to say. But, like, do you have ride or die friends? Do you have people that are with you through the good times and the bad times? The Urban Dictionary says this. It defines ride or die this way. To be down with someone. I love that. What? No matter what. Through it all, the good and the bad. There are times in your life that require people sticking by you. People of good character, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were best friends, ride or die. Like you think about Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas, like ride or die. You think about like David and Jonathan. You think about David and Joab, David and his mighty men, Naomi and Ruth. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. Ride or die. And here's what it means is that these people are with you during the good times and the bad times. Some of you in here, you have friends who are with you when life is good and when, like, you're winning and, like, you're happy and everything's, like, kosher, right? But the moment that trouble comes into your life, they leave. Some of you in here, you need to realize that maybe you don't have these types of friends because you're not this type of friend. Jesus says if you want to be treated this way, he says you should always treat people the way you desire to be treated. Jesus said that. That's the golden rule. Jesus said that. Just so you know. People are like, it's the golden rule. I'm like, that's Jesus' rule. I get mad about it, but it's fine. <laughs> if you want to be treated well, you treat people well. And some of you tonight, you're like, well, I don't have these friends. That's fine. You reach out to somebody and you be that friend. You reach out to somebody and you gird them up. You reach out to somebody and you be their better half. What kind of friendships are you building tonight? Because God says that it is detrimental for your future. And I don't know who this is for tonight, but some of you are in here. And your friends, you've been coming to church, and maybe you've been coming on Sundays, and you're getting close to God. You hear him when you're praying, and you're kind of like, whoa, this is crazy, right? And then some of your friends that are corrupt in their morals, that don't behave maybe, the way you're starting to behave, they're starting to be weirded out by you and they're exiting your life and you're sad about it. And you just need to understand tonight that it is pertinent for your destiny that those types of people leave because God is taking you into a new place. See, our friendships determine our future. And so who are the five? Because you show me your five 
and I'll show you your future. Our character develops in community. The second thing about friendships is this, is that friendship is the soil that safeguards us. I know this sounds crazy, but friendship is actually um, what safeguards the rest of our relationships. So you're like, I just want to date and get married. Cool. You need friends. Here's why. In first century Judea, if you, the only biblical context that we have for dating is courtship. And if you were to court in first century Judea, the way that dudes, the way that you would do it is you'd be like, I like her. And so you'd get on your camel, you'd wash your camel first, you know, get it nice and shiny. And then you'd like get on your camel and you'd ride to her house, but you would not take her out. You would go into her home and you would sit down with her family. And in the context of community, you would get to know her what she loves, what she doesn't love. You would get to know her family and the, the vibration and the vibe of like where they're coming from. You would get to know her heart, but you would get to know it in the context of other people. And according uh, kind of to Hebrew tradition, there would be oversight of your courtship. And so the father would be in on it, your father would be in on it, a rabbi, and there would be people who are smarter than you, wiser than you, who have done more life than you, who know her better than you, looking in on you as you date her. See, and in 2018, we think, oh my God, like that's so archaic. I'm going to do life my way, okay? And I've got my ideas and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date in nobody else's business, like who I date and how I date and what I, you know, I'm going to do it my way. And that's how we do it because we are an individualistic culture. We have our iPhone set with our preferences. We like our lattes with like an extra shot and skinny and like I only drink black coffee. But you know what I'm talking about? Like that's how we want our preferences. We would like it our way. And yet this is the most dangerous way I believe to do our dating life. And the Bible says the same thing. It says this. Um, so sorry. Actually, no. I'm so sorry. Um, if your character develops in community then listen, it suffers in solitude, yeah? If your character, man, is strengthened around other people, if friendship is the soil that safeguards you, then the moment you go into isolation is the moment that your character could implode. And here's why. There's a couple reasons, but I'm just going to name a couple. Number one, friends keep you honest. Community keeps you honest. It keeps you honest. So we will endlessly deceive ourselves about ourselves, right? I will come to any one of you and like in the, in the confines of your home, like if you were just by yourself and you were thinking to yourself and it's like, hey, are you ready to be married? You know, and as a girl, you're like, I am actually. And I have a problem with gossip and I have a problem with money, but I am ready to take his secrets and his money. <laughs> we endlessly deceive ourselves about ourselves. I endlessly deceive myself about myself. I think I'm awesome until I have a friend who's like, oh, pfft, whoa, no. You need like counseling. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fellas in here, in the confines of your home, you think to yourself, am I ready to be married? You're like, yeah. I don't have a job, but I have a big heart. <laughs> I'm ready. We endlessly deceive ourselves about ourselves. And here's what's so awesome about friends. It is the only place where we get a mirror held up to us to, to show us our blind spots and to see the places where we need to grow. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. And this is just simply what it means. It doesn't mean that you're, like, you're super deceitful. It just means that you deceive yourself about yourself. That's what that means. You constantly are deceiving yourself about how awesome you are and how ready you are and how talented you are and how holy you are. 
until you have a friend be like, oh, hey, listen, when he spoke to me that way, it was like super prideful. You want to work on that or cool if not? Okay, ride or die. <laughs> is the only place. And listen, the Bible says that wounds from a friend can be trusted. It can be trusted. I would rather have a friend wound me than me dissolve my character in some bonehead move. Amen? There is safety in our friendships. They safeguard us. They safeguard us. Not only do they keep us honest, but listen, they keep us accountable. This might sound crazy, but I believe firmly that your friendships protect your other relationships. It says this in Proverbs 11, um, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. The reason that God wants you to have good friends is because he wants you to have the life that he has promised for you. And he doesn't want you to tarry anymore in the things that are bothering you or the things that are in your past. Or for, He wants you to forsake the things that you need to leave behind and step into the future that he has for you. But the way and the context that he is going to have you do that is friends. David's life is amazing. I mean, he is on board. He is king at this point. And he's, he's forging his way in his calling. And when we meet him in 2 Samuel chapter 11... It is the moment that he leaves his community that his life gets really complicated really fast. It says this, In the spring, at the time when kings went off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Another translation says David tarried, like he was like, I don't know if I should go, in Jerusalem. David is king at this point. He is king. Not only that, but he is a militaristic king. Okay? He's not, not an academic king. He's not a wise king. He's not a builder king. He is a militaristic king. And it says this. It says, in the springtime, when kings go off to war, at this point in time, he should be going off to war. And David has had some amazing military exploits. Okay, he's defeated so many Philistines. He's like, they, they have taken so much land for the kingdom of Israel, like land that God has promised them. He's taken hold of and he's started to build their kingdom there and like establish what will be the golden kingdom underneath his son Solomon. And so this is an awesome time for David. He's married. He has kids, which just goes to show you that the moment you think you've arrived in life is actually a very vulnerable time for you. Because he gets to this point and it says, when the kings go off to war, in the springtime, when kings go off to war, listen, it is, I don't know if you know this, but in World War II, the reason that the Germans lost was because they didn't, when they went to Russia, they didn't take their coats. And they froze to death. And they starved. You don't go to war in the winter. You wait for everything to melt. And then you're like, time to go. Like, they literally, like, waited. And then they're like, the fight's on again. You know, it's kind of funny, actually. And then they go and they go to war with these people. And so these men, his closest friends, Joab, the three, his mighty men, they all leave the castle. And immediately, David is isolated, he is alone, and he is bored. And it is in this circumstance that he makes one of the most detrimental decisions of his life. For those of you who don't know, this is the moment where David is up on a rooftop and he witnesses another woman bathing on a rooftop. And he says, who's that woman? And they're like, that's Bathsheba. And they're like, is, he, is she married? And they're like, yes. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I'm king. And so he sleeps with her. She's impregnated. And when he finds out that she's pregnant, he orders for Joab to put Uriah, who's her husband, on the front lines so that he would be murdered. So in this moment, 
Not only does David become an adulterer, he becomes a murderer. David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man after God's own heart, grieves God's heart. And all because he left his community. See, I think sometimes we are so desperate for autonomy. We want to leave our parents' house. We don't want a boss. We don't want people telling us what to do. Listen, it is good for people to tell you what to do. It is good for people to be around you and be like, oh, that." listen, if he was with his men or if his men were with him, this would have never happened. He would have been on the battlefield fighting a battle that was his to win, by the way, fighting a battle that he, he forsook his calling in this moment by like being like, I'm just going to hang out, you know. And so if he was on the battlefield, this never happens. If he was still at home and, like, his homeboys were with him, this would have never happened. He would have been hanging out with Joab, and he would have been like, look at that girl. And Joab would have been like, yep, time to play video games. You know what I mean? Let's go punch some things. Like, never would have happened. See, your friends keep you accountable. They are safeguards for your life. I get so worried when I see people in here who don't have any friends, and then they start dating. I get so scared for them. I get so scared when I see people who have great friends and then they start dating and they Netflix and chill and they like only make out and then they go to fries at midnight and they're just like, all I see is you. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and they, they kind of disappear from their friend circle. I get freaked out for them because they have no one being honest with them. And they have no one holding them accountable. And they have no safety. God says your friendships are meant there to be a rich soil in which all of your other relationships form. Please do not do this in isolation. And the last thing about friends is that they remind us about our calling. They remind us about our calling and who we are. You know what would have happened if he was with his friends? And he would have even thought about any of this. You know, they would have, been there. They would have told, told him, David, this is, this is who you are. And David, look, this is not who you are, man. David, this is who you are. This is not who you are. They would have been like, David, you are, listen, you are not an adulterer. Man, you're not a murderer. Are you kidding? You're not a murderer. You're a king, dude. You're a mighty warrior. You're the anointed one of God. You're a man after God's own heart. You're my friend. Stop back to the fool. You know what I mean? <laughs> Our friends remind us of who we are. Our friends remind us of who we are not. And God tonight wants to know, who are your friends? Because your friends determine your future. Listen, if you just moved here, I get it. You're so alone, I get it. I don't care. Get freaky about it. Like, just be like, hi, would you want to be my... Like, get a friend. (laughs) You need friends. I'm from Nebraska. Like, you got to go for it. Tonight. You gotta make friends like your life depends on it. You gotta make friends like your marriage depends on it. You gotta make, you gotta make friends like your dating relationship depends on it. Because there is safety in the presence of many counselors. You show me your friends, I will show you your future. And so who are your friends tonight? And you're like, well, it's about a marriage. No, it's about a life. You want everything that God has for you and nothing that he doesn't. See, because our friends shape our future. Our friends determine our future. And that's the last point. 
Sometimes I'll go to weddings, you guys, and I love going to all the like I officiate weddings, I love going to weddings. Sometimes I'll go to a wedding and like it'll be at a courthouse and honestly, no, no shame, no guilt like at all if you go to a courthouse and it's just you and like me, that's cool. But sometimes I'm like sad. And then I'll go sometimes to like weddings and, and it'll be like a bride and a groom and like he's got like these best friends and they've got this like special dance, like they are bros, like it's weird, you know what I mean? And, like, there's the girls, and, like, there's three of them crying as they do toast. Do you know what I mean? And, like, it's, it's about him. It's about her. But it's about so much more than just him and her. It's beautiful. Show me your friends, church. I will show you your future because your character develops in the context of community. There is safety in the safeguard of friendships. Who are your friends? I remember, um, you guys probably don't know this about me. If you do, whatever. Um, John and I dated for about nine months. I was crazy mad in love with John. Like, so crazy. And I get back from YWAM. We date for about two weeks after that, month after that. And John comes to me and presents a set of flaws, a set of character issues that he's not okay with. Um, I'm going to keep those to myself because that's really personal. But he's like, I'm not cool that you're like this. I'm not cool that you do this. And they were character issues of mine. So he breaks up with me. He leaves. He, like, doesn't take my phone calls. He doesn't call me. I'm kind of crazy. I'm like the crazy girl that, like, keeps calling him, like, baby, out of your mouth. Like, it was terrible. You know what I mean? I was that girl. And I had to go to counseling. I started going to counseling for these issues. We were, we were broken up for nine months. I didn't know if we were going to get back together. I started going to counseling, and I lost weight because I had so much anxiety. Um, and I loved him, and I wanted to marry him. And, yeah, I was dealing with all of these, like, deep-seated issues of stuff that I needed to do in counseling. And I had panic attacks, and I was living with one of my best friends at the time, one of my best friends who was in the hospital with me, actually. And she comes in my room one night, and I'm, like, having a panic attack. And um, she grabs hold of me. She sits on my bed, and she grabs hold of me. And she just holds me because I cry and, like, I'm at a loss. Like, I just can't. My life, I can't. I have no control. And it was in that moment, and I swear to you, I felt this way. I felt so deeply, like, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. Not because my circumstances are good. I actually hate my circumstances right now. But I'm going to be good because my friends are good. I'm good. So who are your friends tonight? church. Because you show me your friends and I will show you your future. So if everybody could stand. God, we love you. With every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I just have one question and it's this. If there are people in here who are lonely, God, you said that you would be a friend. God, that you would be a father to the fatherless. Jesus, that you would be a steadfast friend. Holy Spirit, you are called our counselor. You're called our advisor. And so, God, even though we don't have counselors maybe right now or even though we don't have friends maybe right now, maybe you will be that for us. And so if you're in here tonight and you're like, man, I need Jesus to be a deep friend for me until I find these people that are going to be there for me. If that's you in here, would you just raise your hand and say, Jesus, would you be with me in the middle of my loneliness, in the middle of my isolation? Amen. Amen. And one more question. Maybe tonight you've never met Christ, and I just want to take this opportunity to say he saved my life. Listen, I don't just, I'm not just saved by him. He lives inside of me. 
And so if you're in here tonight and you would like Jesus not to just be this figure that you come and hear about in church, but you would like for Jesus to indwell in your hearts tonight, be with you forever, speak to you in words that only he can speak to you. If that's you in here tonight, would you just raise your hand really nice and high, really nice. Wow. Amen. Amen. God, we thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for friendships. <laughs> I thank you that you designed us to be together. God, may we be just so rich in the way that we pursue one another. We praise you and we worship you. Amen. Let's worship.